Well, I feel awake yeah. and I feel ready to go. Yeah. I've, I've had a great morning. I had a very restful evening. Good. Steak dinner with the family. Nice. Because we got everybody together. Caroline's home for, for spring break. Sweet. And so we had Caroline and Jack. And so Heather's like, I'm getting steaks. And she made steaks and just had a really good time. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm glad for you. Mm-hmm. Good. Today on the podcast, we enjoy a great discussion inspired by your questions about what it means to submit and what it means to be the lens through which other people see Jesus. Well, I'm really looking forward to podcasting about this sermon. I have to say, and I'm not saying this to uh, to try to flatter you or anything like that, but I think this was the best teaching on First Peter 3 that I've ever heard. Hmm. But, I, but I want to tell you why. Okay. The reason why is that after hearing it, and I, I got to hear it four times, three times for each <laughs> of the services, plus the, uh, the run-through that we did yeah. ahead of time, each time it left me feeling motivated to hmm. want to look to Jesus and to see how did he handle himself in all situations and to want to look more like Jesus. Oh, that makes me excited. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the fruit of this message Mm -hmm. for me, and I don't think I'm the only one because I've had a number of conversations with people that uh, that seem to resonate on the same level, Mm -hmm. that the fruit of this message was that it wants, I want to be a better wife because of the way that I want to look like Jesus Mm. rather than than a, a framework of marriage or or something like that 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 maybe I would have looked to in the past, but uh, but I really appreciated the way mm. that you brought that out, and I think the more that we focus on looking to Jesus okay. and the desire to look like Jesus, the what what better framework could we have for what it looks like to submit to others? I think that's awesome. I think that's exactly what Peter was going after. In every situation you're in, in whatever culture you're in, in whatever institution you're in, whether you're high, you're low, somewhere in between, good or bad, look to Jesus and try to reflect Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I'll give our listeners a little a little uh, tease, something that I want to flesh out, I think, in this weekend's, uh, this weekend's message is it's a trajectory of full devotion. And, and our mission is to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. So mm-hmm. what is that trajectory? What does that trajectory look like? And it really flows out of authority, identity, and activity. Mm-hmm. Number one, look to Jesus, right? He's the authority. He's the example. He is our savior. He is our leader. He is our king. Look to Jesus. He's the authority. Number two, look more and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's that's identity. It's I'm, I'm defined by what Jesus has done, not what I do. And more and more, my life is aligning with who he is and how he leads identity. All right. And then the third one is more and more people see Jesus in me mm-hmm. and in my life. That's activity. I'm trying mm-hmm. to love other people in the way that Jesus has uh, loved me. I'm trying to do for them what Jesus has done for for me. And that it's not some like passive thing where Jesus is operating through me and I'm just, I, I'm not... I'm not involved. No, I'm actively involved. I'm actively loving people, caring about them in both affection and behavior, and they experience what Jesus's love is through that. Um, so it's authority, identity, and activity. That is the trajectory of full devotion. 
I really appreciate the way you summarized that. I think that's worth listening to a couple of times and and appreciate that. And I also appreciate that, uh, that we've had this opportunity to walk through the entire book of 1 Peter, because mm-hmm. this passage in particular, the first half of 1 Peter 3, is often one that does get kind of lifted out of context. But I thought you did a great job of keeping mm-hmm. it very much nestled into the context of the entire book, of both what does it look like to stand in the true grace of God, as well as how mm-hmm. it flows out of the second half chapter two. Yes. This is not a new thought that Peter is starting with when he's talking to wives and husbands. This is very much a continual practical application of what he was already talking about in chapter two. This is probably the smartest church I've ever been around in my life, but let me just kind of say it. (laughs) Let me just say it again, just as a reminder, there were no verse numbers and chapter breaks (laughs) when this was written. That was inserted later simply as a tool to aid readers. This was a letter and we need to read it like a letter and it's all one flowing continuous thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good point. That's always a good thing to, yeah. to remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So our, our series thesis for this book has been that our identity drives our activity. Mm-hmm. And that's been a good kind of umbrella statement for this whole book. Mm-hmm. But you also drilled down a little bit more specifically in this particular message with the phrase that you brought back uh, several times, actually, where you said that Jesus is the lens through which we see ourselves, and we are the lens which others see Jesus. That's right. And I thought it would be helpful in response to a question that we got for you to talk a little bit more to the person who's maybe hearing that and is feeling like, wow, I'm not sure that I'm up to that. Or, or I'm not sure that the things that I tell myself about myself are always very healthy. Yeah. I, when that email came in and uh, the person who asked it asked to remain anonymous, and I appreciate that, but I resonated I resonated with that question. One time I was reading a book, and it was all about the gospel and about understanding who we are in Christ. Uh, And the book that I'm referencing is The Search for Significance by Robert S. McGee. And in one of the chapters, he talked about negative Mm. self-talk. And I I thought, oh, man, um, I'm glad I don't suffer from that. (laughs) <laughs> and then later, like the next day, I was in a situation that stressed me, uh-huh. and I realized how ugly I talk to myself. Mm. I talk to myself. I have this internal narrative, and I talk to myself in a way that I would never tolerate someone to talk to my wife or kids that way in the in the office. Uh, that I'm responsible for leading. I would never tolerate uh, one staff member talking to another staff member that way. Mm-hmm. It was It's just unacceptable. And yet I talked to myself that way. Mm. And I had to really wrestle with the gospel. Why am I abusing myself so mm-hmm. much? Well, it's because I'm underbelieving the gospel. And this is an area where sin uh, has its teeth sunk deep into me. Mm-hmm. Right. So anybody out there If you're recognizing, listen, I kind of say some things to myself that aren't so great, right? You're not alone, but let's steer that down. Let's don't be, let's don't be afraid of that. What is it that Jesus says to you? You were chosen. You are a royal priest. You're a member of a holy nation. You are God's special possession. You are beloved. You are cherished. You are adopted. You are a co-heir. There is, there's, there's nothing condescending. There's nothing negative. There's nothing, anything that's less than wildly affirming Mm. coming from him to you. Part of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus is remembering who we are, our identity. We're defined by who he is, what he has done, and what he says about us, Mm -hmm. not what we do and not what we say. 
And so we got to really wrestle with that. And so I, I don't want this to be abstract, but we've got to start with a theology. We got to be theologically accurate first and then be theologically practical second. So we've got to understand that theology, understand the foundation of truth, and then build on that second. Well, can I drive you to keep going a little bit Mm -hmm. more practically? Because let's say that, all right, I can give mental assent to that theology Mm -hmm. and and say, I recognize that I am God's special possession. Mm -hmm. But what about the person who's saying, I just feel inadequate to sufficiently live that out. If I'm supposed to be the lens through which people around me are seeing Jesus, I just don't know if I have what it takes to represent Jesus well. Okay, what I'm going to say next is going to sound a bit counterintuitive. So if this is new to you, I really need you to hang in there. And maybe when I'm done, go back and rewind and listen to it again. Maybe do that a few times. Number one, don't hide from your inadequacies. None of us should should hide from our inadequacies. Yes, we are inadequate. This is that's what shows how great and kind and amazing Jesus is. Is that in our weakness, um, his strength comes shining through. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I love how the Apostle Paul started First Corinthians uh, chapter one, is that God chose the weak things of this world and the foolish things of this world and the despised mm-hmm. things of this world. That's me. He's talking about me. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, right I'm not a pastor and I'm not a I'm not a Jesus follower, and I'm certainly not in a position of leadership because of how great I am. It's just because Jesus looked at me and was like, hey, man, people are gonna see how how great I am. If I could use you, people are going to say, man, how great Jesus would be. But real, there's, we say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but there's some real truth there. Mm-hmm. It's okay for our inadequacies and our failures and our mess ups and our shortcomings to come shining through because that's where Jesus's grace and kindness and sovereignty and all of that is on full display. Mm. So it's okay to say, you know what? Man, I struggle with this area. I'm not I'm not that great, but I'm so grateful for Jesus. And what you need to know is that he is not using you reluctantly. He is happy to use you. Hmm. He's happy to do it. That's powerful. Yeah. And so if you're like, man, I don't know if I feel up to to being the lens through which others see Jesus, remember, this is not about us. It is about him. And so let's say... I let's pick something. Help me pick something here, and let's use that something to to work through on how to apply this. So, what's an area where somebody might struggle? Uh, let's say that maybe you feel very vulnerable to anger. Okay, something. you've got a short temper. Yeah, short temper. So, how about this? So, one, you're just you're going to do all the stuff that we talked about before about trying to get rid of malice and and anger. But in this one, if I'm struggling from anger. This is what I'm going to do with the people that I'm around. I'm just going to say, hey, listen, guys, I, you guys know that I struggle with this. I, I don't want to hide from it. I want to let you know I, I'm, it's something that I'm struggling with and I'm trying to trust and follow Jesus with. And I'm so grateful that he is patient, that he's patient with me. I'm taking it seriously. But yeah, this is a thing that I, that I struggle with. And I'm so grateful that he is so kind with me, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I... It's not just about repenting and acknowledging it afterwards when you have um, the expression of um, unrighteous, sinful anger, but it's also about what happens beforehand. Hey, I I feel vulnerable to anger yeah. here, yeah. and I just want to I want to set it out there, and I'm trying to trust Jesus in this. That's powerful too. Well, I like that you're bringing that up because I think there's almost more uh, fruit that can come out of that kind of honesty than someone who either doesn't struggle with it in the first place or maybe has has mm-hmm. mastery yeah. over that struggle. Because to admit in the moment, 
hey, this is something I feel vulnerable to. This is an area where I feel like I'm about to lose it and I really don't want to. I want to submit to God's authority in this aspect of my life. And to be honest about that, that is so much more encouraging to see than uh, than the impression that we sometimes prefer to give that yeah. we're not struggling in the first place. So let's go back and let's use the imagery that, that Peter used in the early part of uh, chapter two, is that we are living stones being made into a spiritual house. We are not a stack of rocks. God is building us into something together. And part of trusting Jesus, right? And part of looking to Jesus is remembering that he designed us to live this out in community. Mm-hmm. And so it is powerful. It is beautiful. It is indispensable to rely on fellow believers to help you with that. That's one of the ways that people get to see Jesus. I have been in meetings, and uh, I, we've used it in some of these meetings before where we kind of put our hands over our head and say, oh, I yeah. need an umbrella of grace here. But I've been in meetings where someone says, hey, listen, I'm struggling with something. Can I get a little bit of grace? And you see everyone else change. Yeah, Everyone else change, and all of a sudden, everyone is wired for patience and compassion and wanting to help that person yeah. with a thing that feels too difficult for them to manage on their own. And it, it makes that person able to actually be the kind of person they want to be in that moment. This is one of the reasons that we are over the moon about small groups, mm-hmm. because these kinds of things can only be lived out in community. And Everybody needs folks who have their back, who will circle up with them, who will be there with them, who will support them, encourage them, and say, I'm going to help you carry that. We can't do this alone. Mm -hmm. And so if you're feeling inadequate, remember that might be the Holy Spirit kind of helping you remember, well, yeah, none of us are enough on our own. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yeah. How good God is mm-hmm. to uh, to gently give us those nudges sometimes. And Absolutely, I think recognizing that is uh, is one of the best ways that we can make some progress in that area. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great question. So a lot of the questions that came in had to do with teasing out the difference between the context that Peter was writing to the people that received this letter mm-hmm. versus how it plays out in our modern day. Sure. And uh, and and there was great appreciation for mm-hmm. the time that you spent uh, giving a little bit more clarity mm-hmm. to the context of the culture that mm-hmm. that women were in, that slaves were in, that mm-hmm. husbands uh, were living out, uh, the, the ruling of their household in. Yeah. Um, and yet we live in a somewhat different culture right now. Can you talk a little bit first before we go into any other specifics about when it is appropriate to recognize something as being culturally bound in the first mm-hmm. century yeah. and when we can bring it forward? So for example, something like uh, in, in this chapter, he mm-hmm. talked about women finding their beauty not in elaborate hairstyles or in gold sure. jewelry or, sure. or sure. fancy clothes, uh, but in their character. And, and so we kind of laugh at that and, and say, well, of course, women can do their hair and wear nice clothes and wear jewelry today. And that's yeah. that's not something that we need to worry about. So how do we know when something is culturally bound for the original audience and when it's something that should still apply today? Yeah. So I'm. let me kind of just run through this in no particular order. Sure. And will you help me stay on track? Yep. I'll, you have I'll had these track. conversations <laughs> with me enough to know that sometimes I get off track. You've been in enough meetings with me <laughs> to know that I'm just like squirrel and I'm just like, I'm going down a rabbit. So help me here. All right. All right. You're, you're going to be my partner? I'll sure try. Thank you. All right. So number one, um, none of the teaching 
None of the truth that we're going to find expressed in 1 Peter or anywhere else in God's Word is based on the context. It's truth applied to a context. Very important to remember. Say that again. It is not truth based on the context. It's truth applied to the context. And so the reason that I want to start there is because we've got to do the hard work. And let me just say it's hard work to lean in and figure out, okay, what is the truth and how is it being applied to the context? So what is the truth? What is the context? How are these two things? How are these two things coming together? And if you're listening to this while you're driving, be careful. I'm going to say something. I don't want you to get all upset and, you know, freak out and, and, and run into the ditch. You are not going to pray yourself into understanding the context. You're going to study your way into it. Mm. There is no amount of prayer. There is no amount of prayer that just simply reading First Peter and praying about it that the Holy Spirit is going to download to you the history of how women were suppressed and oppressed in Roman culture and how they used uh, an emphasis on beauty to rebel against the men who they felt like were holding them down mm-hmm. and all the different things that were attached to that. You're never, you're not, listen, the Holy Spirit's just not going to download to you that there were times that women protested in the streets and and barricaded the streets and, right. and that uh, laws were enacted against them. You're never going to understand about um, the historical movement that's called the New Roman Women and how they were anti-having children and that they were trying to assert their own dignity and their own rights through sexual promiscuity. You're, the Holy Spirit is right, never going to download that information that, to you. That knowledge. Mm-hmm. You're, listen, the Holy Spirit is never going to download to you how a typical Roman household was structured. The Holy Spirit is never just going to download for you that, you know what, everybody in the household had to follow the same uh, religion as the paterfamilias, the husband, the father who was over that. That's, that's never going to come through prayer. You have to study. Okay, I'm going to let you chase the squirrel just a little bit before okay. I bring you back. Because what do you say then to the person who's saying, "Okay, I get that, and I and I recognize that there's so much to know, and there's so much to know not just about scripture, but about the the original cultural context that it was written in." And I barely have time to to just try to stay faithful to to waking up and praying and and reading my Bible in the morning or anything that. like that. I, I, I don't I, have time to read books about first century Rome. And maybe you don't. <laughs> maybe you don't. But I do. And can I just say, Autumn Ridge Church, you pay me to do that. <laughs> you pay me to do the work. Uh-huh. And so, um, and you also, you also <laughs> have are 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 appropriately require of me and expect me to make sure that our team of pastors mm-hmm. um, are doing the work and that all of our Bible study teachers and all of our small group leaders are adequately prepared right. and adequately informed to understand all the factors that are at play. And I think it's one of the reasons that so many people, that we basically ran out of all the First Peter study guides, because people mm-hmm. are like, this is amazing. Yeah. And Svea, let me just say to you that you and everybody who you had work with, you did a fantastic job mm. on that resource. Thank you. Yeah. It's so... My experience is that when people get kind of the background information and all the resources, that they love it. 
And if you're out there doing brain surgery today, I remember one night I had dinner. I had dinner with a family, uh, with a couple of, with, with three couples from Autumn Ridge. And one of the people earlier that day had his hands inside of the intestines of a baby who was still in the mother's womb. <laughs> and he was doing, he was doing surgery to repair that, that, that little baby so that he, the, the little child could continue to thrive and be born later. As, okay. If that's what you're doing, you don't have time to read Plutarch. I will read Plutarch, right? <laughs> right? All right, fair but, enough. But let, me, but let me say this. Let me say this. I absolutely do not want to place myself at like some pinnacle of anything. I am a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm not a resident scholar. I'm not an, uh, I'm not an academic. I'm a pastor, and I'm reading, and I'm studying scholars. And listen, there are fantastic other scholars and people who make themselves available to you in easily accessible forums, especially through uh, well-written blogs and podcasts. And so go listen to them when you're driving to work, when you got free time, when you're walking the dog, listen, listen to that kind of, listen to that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. Am I help? Am I being helpful? That's a, that's a fun little squirrel chase there. Now let's come back to the original idea of, so how does someone understand what is culturally bound and what still applies today? How does someone understand? You got to study. You you just have to study. And I would I would recommend getting a great study Bible. Um, I would recommend uh, using the resources that we do our best to to make easily mm-hmm. accessible and available uh, to everyone. But when you're when you're reading that, I think a um, an astute reader is just going to go, man. I wonder what's going on. There has to be something going on, even if I don't know what's going on. There is something that's that's going on. Sure. And one of the things that I love about biblical writers, and I'm not afraid to say this, they were geniuses. Mm. They were geniuses. And and Peter, and they are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, right? And so um, even if Peter is not a genius, the genius of the Holy Spirit right. is working through him. Pay attention to all the times that Peter says, so that. Mm. And that is the key. Right. The, the, What's the principle the here? The thing that comes after the so that tells you the why behind the what. Anyone who has ever had to, uh, anyone who's ever tried to raise kids, or maybe you've babysit kids, or maybe you had your nieces and nephews over for the weekend, whatever, right? There are times that you tried, you you told them they needed to do something, and what did they say? Why? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Right? And it is natural, and it is good for us to read a command and go, well, why? Yeah. Tell me more, because it's not arbitrary. So I think that's really helpful to to draw your yeah. attention to why something mm-hmm. is being said and to mm-hmm. look for the clues in the text about why that command is mm-hmm. there. Um, it, can I suggest that that I think a helpful framework for understanding this distinction between what was directed to the original audience versus today is just mm-hmm. to look for those underlying principles. So, you know, That's in right. the case of, of mm-hmm. women's hair and clothing and all mm-hmm. of that, the underlying principle was don't look like the people who are not upholding godly principles. That's right. And and don't don't try to associate yourself intentionally with, with people that are are uh, not respectful or honoring to God. Let me tell you what I think any astute reader could do. And um, if you're if you're willing to be patient. And prayerful, this is now this is what the Holy Spirit does. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit, and I am so looking forward to when we finally preach a series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I don't know when that's coming, but we're going to wrestle through that in May. When, when, yeah. do, when do we schedule that? One of the gifts and one of the roles that the Holy Spirit gives to us that, that he provides for us is illuminating scripture, helping us to see what's there. 
Okay, draw a distinction, though, from what you just said about the Holy Spirit's never going to just download information. So he's not going to give you the information, but now you're saying he illuminates Scripture. The Holy Spirit is not going to give us information that isn't communicated in the text. But he is going to illuminate what is communicated in the text so that we can see it, understand it, and apply it. He can help us connect the dots. That's right. I'm not a Gnostic. Like, there is no secret information that the Holy Spirit somehow um, unlocks secret information that no one else can see. No, the Holy Spirit allows us and enables us and empowers us and illumines for us the ability to see what is there, mm-hmm. not something that isn't there. Mm-hmm. Okay? I hope that doesn't sound too esoteric. Nope. I just wanted to say esoteric because that's a fun word. <laughs> All right, so... All right, let's... Hold on. Let me, let me, let me give some... Let me give some so anyone out there, you don't have time to you don't have time to you don't have time to pick up a commentary and read. Maybe you don't have a maybe you don't have a study Bible. You're you're not of it. You don't have Wi-Fi at your house. You can't listen to podcasts, but somehow <laughs> you're listening to this. So this, this is what you're going to do. Pay attention to therefores and so that's. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to every therefore and so that. And let me give you just let me give you some easy rules. Number one, every time you see a therefore, go back and read again everything that came before it. Because all the commands and insights that come that comes next are based on everything that came before. So when you see a therefore, you're going to ask yourself, what is it therefore? And you're going to go back and make sure you really comprehend what came beforehand. Mm-hmm. When you read a so that, pay attention to what comes next because it's the why behind the what. Thank you. Those are really helpful tools. Isn't that easy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right, let's let's drill down a little bit more specifically on submission. And uh, and again, I just really appreciated the lens that you that you taught through about submission is all about looking like Christ. Mm-hmm. It's about looking to Christ. Yeah. And the the, mm-hmm. the mind that he had, the mm-hmm. mind of a servant, someone who was willing to set aside his equality with God. Uh, to to come and take the form of a servant. Yes. And that as we look to him in that, that that informs the Mm -hmm. way that we uh, conduct ourselves in all of our relationships, whether relationships in our home or in our community Mm -hmm. or even uh, corporately. Um, But talk a little bit more specifically about what it looks like for wives to submit. Now, Peter was talking about the example Mm -hmm. of a wife submitting to a husband who's not a believer for the purpose so that that he may be won over by her character. This passage sometimes has been a rocky one, Mm. either with implicit or explicit um, confusion about how this might apply to a woman in an abusive situation. Sure. Now you did talk in the context that Peter was writing that often in Roman households there was some, while technically abuse wasn't legal, there was some tolerance of it that we might not tolerate today. That's right. Um, so what would you say to the woman who's saying, "Okay, I understand that I do want to represent Jesus well, and I love the idea of being able to mm-hmm. win over a husband yeah. who's maybe not kind and godly in mm-hmm. all ways yeah. uh, with my good behavior." Mm-hmm. But but how do we find some wisdom here on how to apply that today? Okay. I appreciate you using the word wisdom because this is gonna this is gonna require wisdom, and and I and I love how you started. We're looking to Jesus first. He didn't he he never stopped being equal with God, but he decided that he's not going to exploit that or use that for his own advantage. He is submitting himself. Anybody 
anybody who ever wants to live for something bigger than themselves at some point is going to have to learn submission. Mm. And anybody who ever wants to love someone else at some point is going to have to learn, is going to have to learn submission. Um, now, when we're in a relationship that has been marred by abuse and someone is leveraging some sort of privilege or advantage that they have against you, what does it mean to look like Jesus there? Yes. And I'm going to, I'm going to try and go super slow. And I'm going to ask anybody who's, uh, who's struggling with this one. Maybe you were in an abusive situation or you were in an abusive situation. I get it. You're going to want to hear everything that I say through the filter of that. I don't know your situation. And so I might accidentally say some things, or there might be some things that I say that, that you want to attach to, to that situation in ways that I would never intend. So I'm just going to ask for a little bit of grace. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to ask for is a, is a little bit of grace. I have to talk broadly about everything, and you're thinking about a particular thing. That, that's, that's just a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's just a challenge. Yes, Jesus did submit himself to abuse for a purpose. But Jesus did not always submit to abuse. There are times that he, I either through just being super cunning or through miraculous means, avoided abuse. There were times he was preaching in his hometown. They wanted to throw him off a cliff, mm-hmm. and he just kind of evaded them. Yeah, <laughs> right? stepped away. <laughs> so obviously, being like Jesus doesn't mean any time there, there are people that want to abuse me, I just got to take it. Right. That is... That is, it is a twisting of scripture. It is an abuse of scripture. It's ignoring of all of scripture. We don't just look at one thing in God's word. We look at it in the totality of God's word. Mm-hmm. So we're going to just stop there. Mm-hmm. So we want to be like Jesus. There are times that Jesus willingly submitted to abuse, and there are times that he absolutely was not going to submit to abuse. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be like Jesus, remember that in Jesus, you are free. You are free. Um, and there are times that every single person in life for the sake of someone else is going to, and I'm treading lightly here and I'm treading very cautiously, accept and endure treatment that they don't deserve for the sake of someone else. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to do that. Now, when we're talking about abuse, we're talking about something that is very, very intense to an, to an extreme degree. And we're talking, we're not just talking about women, we're talking about men and women here, both men and women can be victims and recipients of, and are of, of, of domestic, of domestic abuse, but you don't have to do that. And there's nothing in God's word that says you have to sit there and take it and endure it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. You absolutely don't have to. I think the Apostle Paul gives us another example with his life. And let's just remember, I I need some of you guys, this is going to help you. The Bible cannot be reduced to a series of proposition statements. It is is a big story full of a bunch of smaller stories. And it's helpful to know the stories because the stories and the structure of the stories communicate just as much, if not more so, than particular statements do. There were times the Apostle Paul was abused, and he leveraged his Roman citizenship to get out of abuse. Mm-hmm. You are free to do the same thing, too. Leverage the laws and everything that is available to you to make sure that you are safe and that your kids are safe. You don't have to take it. 
So submission does not mean taking abuse. No. Maybe can you can you frame instead what does submission look like? And not just wives submitting to husbands, but but submission for for all of us. Can you give a picture of beautiful submission? Um, well, uh, I'll let other people describe decide whether or not they think this is beautiful. <laughs> all right. It's I'm going to place myself underneath what is in your best interest. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what's in my best interest is placing myself underneath your leadership. But I'm always going to place myself underneath what's in your best interest and what's in our best interest. And so when I say I'm always going to do that, I don't mean like I'm perfect. I just mean that that's the disposition. Mm -hmm. As a follower of Christ, I'm going to place myself beneath what's in your best interest. And I'm going to place myself and my agendas and my wants and all the things that maybe I'm entitled to. I'm going to place that beneath what's in our best interest. So I think that's a really helpful mindset mm-hmm. for marriage, yeah. for both husbands and wives, because that that picture of, of I'm willing to submit myself, maybe my own preferences, my mm-hmm. own desires, to help you achieve what's in your best interest is a, is a wonderful attitude for marriage. I agree with you. Now, where people are going to get confused is they equate, they, they equate, that's not a word, I don't think, <laughs> they equate submission with, um, and who's submitted to with authority. And you can do that if you want, but just know that that's not the biblical understanding. And just know that that wasn't even the understanding in uh, the first century Greek-speaking Roman world. Mm-hmm. Um, that we have, uh, we have ancient documents of, of letters of, of, of a people who are underneath the uh, dominion of Rome and the uh, new governor that is imposed on this on this region and on this city is requested that he submit to the people of that city. It had nothing to do with authority. It had everything to do really with empathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to care about you. You have needs. And you know what? I'm going to use the strength. I'm going to use what I have to serve what you need. Mm-hmm. That's submission. That's and listen. Yes, there is a picture of submission and hierarchies. There's a picture of submission and say like the military. There are subordinates who submit submit to their leader. But you cannot reduce. You cannot reduce the biblical concept, the New Testament concept of submission, or even submission in the first century Greek speaking Roman world to simply that you're you're going to be misguided. So I like, you said the word strength a minute ago, mm-hmm. and, and I like that. And I like the idea that that submission is taking the strength that you have to mm-hmm. use it in a way mm-hmm. um, that is achieving something good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that ultimately is the biblical picture of gentleness, mm-hmm. isn't it? To take your, the strength that you have to yeah. use it for someone's good. Um, and this passage calls women to yes. find beauty in being gentle. And I loved that you brought out that this is not Peter's attempt at a description of what biblical womanhood looks like, nope. but that he is calling women, mm-hmm. and he could have said it to men too, but he is calling women in this case to exhibit the same characteristics that Jesus himself exhibited. He's, he's described in Matthew 11 as someone who is gentle and lowly in heart. And that wasn't even said of him. That's how he talked that, about himself. That's right. <laughs> that's right. When Peter writes to slaves, he doesn't give them a picture of biblical slavehood. 
Mm-hmm. He says, look to Jesus. When Peter writes to women, he doesn't give them a picture of biblical womanhood. He says, no, look to Jesus. When he writes to men, he doesn't give them a picture of biblical manhood. He says, look to Jesus. The goal for all of us is to look to Jesus mm-hmm. and to be like Jesus. Yeah. And anybody out there, anybody out there either in our audience or anywhere else who wants to say somehow we are distinguishing or we're eliminating the differences between gender, that's nonsense. We are not. Mm -hmm. We're absolutely not. It's just we're all called to look like and be like Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And so do that as a woman. I'm going to do that as a man. But there are no Christian feminine virtues and Christian masculine virtues. It's all Jesus. I think it does deserve to be stated again that Mm -hmm. as we're saying that, we're not trying to eliminate gender differences. No. And that I think God had very specific reasons for creating us male and female. I love the differences. Sometimes the differences annoy me, uh, (laughs) but I love the differences, right? And I'm sure there, there are times my wife would say, yeah, sometimes the, the differences, you know, annoy her too. But listen, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. But let's, I want to go back to something else. Yes, submission does include, and it should, it should be expressed as, I'm going to put, place my strength beneath your weakness. But it's also, I'm going to place my weakness beneath your strength. Mm-hmm. And here's another aspect of submission. It's not necessarily what Peter was was talking about, but if you look at all of the New Testament and all the ways that submission is described, is you have a strength that I need, and I'm weak, and so I'm going to trust you and allow you to help me and support me mm-hmm. in this. So submission can be placing my strength beneath you, but it could also be placing my weakness beneath your strength. Mm-hmm. It works both ways. So you, you talked in the message about how unequal people were as male and female in Roman culture, but now the the picture in the kingdom of God is male and female are equal. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and yet Christians are struggling through various uh, denominations, through different expressions of Christianity in the implications of that and what it means to be male and female in different roles. And, and in the household mm-hmm. is uh, one of the key areas that mm-hmm. we're trying to figure what the, uh, the true implications are. And also in the church mm-hmm. is the other area. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so as we have this picture of mutual submission, in I feel the like household, I'm about to get in trouble. <laughs> well, <laughs> both of us obviously are going to ask and uh, frame our questions carefully here. Sure. Uh, but uh, but a question that did come in mm-hmm. um, after the message was if men and women are equal in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. How come they're not always viewed as equal in the church? Uh, can you talk a little bit about roles of men and women in the church? Yeah, I will. Uh, I, let me. I'll talk about that. And I, can I just talk about Autumn Ridge and not talk about other churches and other denominations? That's probably even more appropriate because it just one. It wouldn't be fair to them for me to try to speak to them. At best, my perspective is going to be limited, and, and they they deserve the right to to speak to speak for themselves. Um, but in our church, this is our intent, and maybe we live up to it well. Maybe we don't. I'm going to let other people evaluate that, and they could certainly speak to me about that. I would happily and willingly embrace uh, their perspective, even if it's not fun to listen to. All mm-hmm. right. So, uh, but men and women, men and women are equal and seen and viewed as equal in our church. And that's based on our understanding of scripture. Now it is true. It's absolutely true that it is the practice of Autumn Ridge that only men can be elders and only men can be uh, the the senior, the senior pastor. Our, uh, our elder board 
uh, started uh, a number of months ago a rigorous study on really what is, what's our best under what is the Bible communicating? What do we understand that the Bible's trying to communicate? And should that be our practice or should that not be our practice? Um, so we're in the middle of that. And I know that there are people in our church who are saying, Rick, let's leave it that way. I can't promise you that. And I know that there are people in our church who are saying, Rick, let's change the practice. I can't promise you that. If I gave any sort of indication either way, um, I would be undercutting the process. I'm just a person in this process. Um, I'm not the governor of the process. I am participating with the elders, and they are they are folks. They're men who I happily submit to. They are collectively, uh, they are collectively my boss. But we are partners in this, in in studying it. And I don't know when we're going to be done. Mm-hmm. I hope we're done this year. I can't promise that. Um, so, um, but we're working on it. We're we're working on it. But for those who think, man, I just don't think that women are treated equally in our church. Listen, I'm not, I would never argue with you about that. I would just never argue with you if that's what you're experiencing. Um, well, I want to hear more about, really, I just got questions. I want to hear more about why you feel that. But let me share with you some things that I know about our church that maybe not everybody knows. Going back to the mid-80s, Autumn Ridge ordained a woman into chaplain ministry. That woman is still a part of our church and regularly sings in the choir. For, I think, at least two decades, maybe going back to the 90s, uh, women uh, have served as pastors here at Autumn Ridge. I can't remember the first year that a woman served as pastor, but for many years, women have served as pastors at Autumn Ridge. Uh, Women have been uh, very important leaders in our church. One of the leaders who I have leaned on hard is a woman named uh, Jan Wright. And when it came to probably one of the most important decisions that I was going to make um, in in my tenure here is that's hiring executive pastors. And I basically told Jan Wright, I cannot do this without you. Mm-hmm. Would you lead a team and would you basically evaluate these candidates and would and with you leading this team, would you let me know who you think we should seriously consider? And uh, we have two phenomenal executive pastors, Otis Hall and Caleb Smith. And listen, if it wasn't for the leadership of Jan Wright, they would not be here. Mm-hmm. And she's just one of many. She's just one of many women who have played prominent roles in, in, in our church. Our church has commissioned and funded and is continuing to fund women who are on the mission field around the world who are teaching, preaching, to men and baptizing men. Um, Women uh, from our church are preaching the gospel at weddings and at funerals in this building and in places around Rochester. And if you don't think a funeral sermon is actually preaching the gospel, let me tell you something, it is. Mm -hmm. And that is when people are open to hearing the gospel. I admire these women. I'm so grateful, so grateful for them. There are other things that I could list. I just want to give you a little bit, a a little snapshot. Um, Autumn Ridge would be woefully incomplete, and it would be less than what it is now without these incredible women of God Mm -hmm. who are using their giftedness. Mm -hmm. Thank you for 
for bringing out some of the history of where we're coming from and yeah. and where we are currently. Obviously, I'm grateful for your your leadership and the way that you've empowered me in my ministry. So Absolutely. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Can I shift gears radically here off of that topic onto the just the topic of Bible translation? Hmm. Because there was a fascinating point that you brought out from the text that's right there in the text. This isn't uh, an idea that you had or something you came up with on your own, yeah. but on the way that the Greek grammar does not use the word to tell people what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. uh, in an explicit way, uh, but that the the implication for husbands is that they are to submit to their wives, um, with the reason being that if they don't take that attitude that Jesus himself took, that even their prayers aren't heard, which is right there in the text. Um, but uh, that that was a point that could be easily misunderstood. Uh, so I wanted to give you a chance just to talk about that a little bit more in the idea that uh, Greek grammar and English translation are not always a one-for-one exchange. Oh, sure, sure. They're not all. They're not always. They're not always a one-for-one exchange. And if you are going to translate what I'm saying right now into another language, you can't do word for word because there's so much imagery um, and nuance in one language that doesn't fit quite exactly in another language. But you can take what's being communicated and precisely communicate it through. Uh, through the mechanisms of another language. Mm-hmm. And so what we read there in 1 Timothy uh, 3 there... 1 Peter 3. What did I say? 1 Timothy? <laughs> That's not the first time I've made that mistake. 1 Peter 3.7. <laughs> They're seven. both good. 1 Peter 3.7. <laughs> it does not say, be considerate. Now, all the translators, they have to make a judgment call. They have to communicate what Peter meant. And so you've got Peter who leverages Greek grammar. Right, We're going to nerd out a little bit. I mm-hmm. apologize. Uh, we've got... Uh, We've got Peter who's leveraging Greek grammar. He does not insert a verb, but a verb has to be understood by the audience, and the audience or the original readers, they're they're going to insert that Peter is teaching them to submit, even though he doesn't use the word submit. You don't have to write down the verb. It's assumed from the previous time that it's used. And so Mm -hmm. the translators, they're in a position, Peter is being clear, but he's writing it in the softest way possible. Mm -hmm. So how do the translators honor what Peter was trying to do? I think, and I'm not in the room with them, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're trying to honor what Peter was doing, being clear in the same way, guys, you have to do the same thing the ladies are doing, but how do they how do they honor what how Peter's being clear, but giving a hard truth in the easiest way possible to receive? That's probably why they chose they chose to put be considerate there. But all of us, we're just going to be dead wrong if we interpret in the same way as not really the same way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, you know, when you look at the in the same way, in the same way, in the yeah. same way for the, each of these different categories, I think that comes out. First uh-huh. Peter 5, 5, in the same way comes up again. You know what it says? Submit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Peter included the verb that time. Well, that's it, a little farther removed, so it makes sense that he might bring it back. <laughs> Absolutely. It, 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 is, yeah. it is a bit further removed, but every time Peter says in the same way, do you know what he means? He means in the same way, not an almost maybe kind of like it way, mm-hmm. in the same way. 
But again, ending where we started from, I think the beauty in that, in that same way, is that in the same way, we're looking to Jesus mm. as our example. Absolutely. And that we are seeking to be people who look like Jesus so that we can represent him well, whether it's in our home, in our community, or in mm-hmm. our country, uh, in, in any of those aspects of our life. And that's a very inspiring message. That's, again, why yeah. I loved this one so much yeah. and uh, why I look forward to continuing on as we keep going through First Peter. That's right. So he is the lens through which we see ourselves, and we're the lens through which others get to see get to see Jesus. Hey, there's another question that came in, and somebody asked, okay, this is this is kind of dipping back into a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I get the 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 grace as opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. And I had made a statement in the in the sermon that you know, Peter had given a list of five different sins. And I'd say, okay, so what's your strat? Because Peter said, get rid of these things. I said, so what's your strategy? And so at least one person, and I'm sure there are more, who are kind of spinning on, okay, okay, so I've got grace, but I don't have to earn anything, but I got to do effort. And so what should my strategy be? So how do I do that? And mm. so, and I think it'd be appropriate for wives out there to go, okay, um, so what's my strategy to be submissive? And mm-hmm. I think it'd be great for husbands to go, what's my strategy to be submissive? There's nobody in our congregation who's a slave, but I'm sure there's lots of people in our congregation who are in situations, maybe at work or somewhere else, where they feel like, where, they, where they're being taken advantage of, they're not being treated appropriately. What's their strategy to be submissive like Jesus in that situation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk about that. Okay. All right. So number one, when do I notice that I'm going off the rails here? And I just, when, when do I see the opposite of what I'm commanded to do coming up? I, I just kind of want to recognize that. And I'm going to prayerfully, I'm going to prayerfully ask Holy Spirit, would you would you please help me to see this and better understand this and trust? And would you empower my efforts? I'm asking you, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Would you empower my efforts to be like Jesus? Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to start asking myself the question, is there any insecurity? What insecurity might be behind mm-hmm. my behavior? What am I afraid of? Mm-hmm. What am I afraid that's going to, what am I afraid that's going to happen? Is my, un, let's talk about submission, is my unwillingness to do that is because it makes me feel less than. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember when I was going through seminary, I worked my way through seminary as a security guard at night in a hospital in New Orleans. And um, I wore a doofusy looking sport coat and a clip-on tie <laughs> that was all part of the uniform. And you had to wear a clip-on tie because we got into fights. And if you're, oh, wow. if it's a regular tie... <laughs> You're in you're in yeah. you're in a you're in trouble you in our got hurry. A noose. <laughs> so you just kind of look like a doofus. And <laughs> and listen, there's and so I'm a security guard. A lot of times I'm in the emergency room. I'm sitting outside of exam room six, keeping eyes on a patient that everyone's concerned about. And I just remember at times being belittled by the nursing staff, treating mm-hmm. me like a nobody, right? Mm-hmm. Or I felt like they were treating me like a nobody. Maybe mm. they weren't. Maybe that was just my my insecurity. And I remember that there were times that I sat there thinking, I'm more educated than you are. Mm. And, but you know what that was? That was pride. Yeah. That was not the appropriate response. That was just that was just pride. It was a response to and insecurity. just like that battle inside of me made it difficult for me to be a happy servant and help them facilitate the health care of this person. There was something inside of me that wanted everybody to see I'm a somebody, mm-hmm. right? It's so when that's we, something that you've battled through. Yeah, I'm totally mm-hmm. done. Yeah, <laughs> I I won that battle. It's over. <laughs> well, I can see the the smirk on your face right now. Now we're on to sarcasm. Now, <laughs> all right. So. 
But is that part of your point? That, yeah, that that's it's something the, that you've had to work something through that, it's rather something than... That, it's something I have to work... But when I remember, okay, my significance and my security and being fulfilled is found in Christ. So what if other people think less of me? He thinks the world of me. Mm-hmm. And do you really believe that? And what is it that's keeping you from believing that? And so I, I, I'm not going to be exhaustive here. We just don't have the time. And we're getting close to really we need to wrap up this episode. But I just want to kind of give some, I just want to give some handholds. This is how we begin to effort our way into evaluating, believing, and applying the gospel to our lives. Mm-hmm. So so make it clear. So this, you're, the strategy you're suggesting is first identifying what's the story you're telling yourself about yourself. What's the story? I'm going to be incredibly prayerful and, and and relying on the Holy Spirit for help. And then I'm going to start asking myself some diagnostic questions, and I'm going to engage the lies that I'm believing and replace them with the truth. Real change happens in our beliefs and our thinking before it happens in our behavior. If you focus on behavior first, all you're going to get is conformity. You're never going to get transformation. That's why the Apostle Paul said, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. You've got to change the way you think first. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, that's helpful. Okay. Thank you for laying that out. I, uh, I, like I said, I just love this message. I've loved the last couple of weeks and this this uh, in, inspiring encouragement to point us to look to Jesus, to look like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to keep going through First Peter. All right. Thanks, Faya. <laughs>